get into the message, we're going to be in uh, uh, Amos chapter 2, verse 6. We'll be in Amos chapter 2 and in verse 6. This is going to be our fourth message in Amos. I'm preaching through the book of Amos. And it's been a real help to me. I hope it's been a help to you. Amos chapter 2 and verse 6. And when you find that, if you're well able, and if you don't mind, please stand for the reading of God's Word. If you can't stand, it's fine. The Lord knows all about that. And let's begin in Amos chapter 2 and verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. That pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor, and turn aside the way of the meek, and a man and his father will go in unto the same maid to profane my holy name. And they lay themselves down upon clothes laid to pledge by every altar, and they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Yet destroyed I the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and he was strong as the oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit from above, and his roots from beneath. Also I brought you up from the land of Egypt, and led you forty years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up of your sons for prophets, and of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord? But ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink, and commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not. Behold, I am pressed under you as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. Therefore in the flight, therefore the flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not strengthen his force, neither shall the mighty deliver himself. Neither shall he stand that handleth the bow, and he that is swift of foot shall not deliver himself. Neither shall he that rideth the horse deliver himself. And he that is courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, saith the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Lord, it is a blessing that I am able to stand here tonight at the invitation of my pastor. Lord, without you and without him, I would not be able to do this. And I'm so very grateful that you've chosen to use me. Lord, I ask that you would use me now to speak to your people, Lord, because I'm just a man and I'm unable to do this. We love you, Lord, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Thank you for standing. I gave up the electronic because it just doesn't work for me. So we're going to go paper. All right. Well, if I, I've said this before, and I'm going to keep saying this. I'm, I'm unable to do this without the Lord. I can't do it without His help. And this is not my message. This is God's message. And the passage tonight is really going to show that to us. Tonight, with the Lord's help, I'm going to try to preach on this subject, our response to grace. What is grace? We hear that word all the time, grace, grace, God's grace, but what really, what is it? Grace is God's unmerited favor and His divine love that He extends to all humanity. Grace is God's kindness and mercy that He freely offers to all people everywhere, even though none of us deserve it. God's grace manifests in various forms. The most important is His saving grace, the grace that leads to salvation. 
Another one is God's sustaining grace, the grace that God helps believers live their lives with every day. God uses His Word, the Bible, to guide us in our daily relationship with Him first and then with others. The Bible is our written-down relationship operations manual. That makes it crucial for us to understand the significance of God's Word as not merely opinion, but it is absolute truth and it's His authority and it's His guidance for our life. It's not an opinion. The truth is that everyone's it is the truth that everyone's eternal security rests on. God tells us the truth, and we need to listen to Him. At some point, we've probably all heard something like this. Well, that's your truth. That's not my truth. Well, can I help you with this? God's Word is the truth. Imagine uh, God's commandments with all reverence. Imagine them as warnings like a seatbelt reminder in a car. The seatbelt reminder conveys a message meant to guide our actions and protect us from harm. Many of us hate seeing that stupid seatbelt light and its annoying little chirping alarm. And how do I know? Well, because I have people ask me all day long, every day, how do I unhook that thing? Let's consider how people react to these warnings. Some people respond responsibly and they fasten their seatbelt. Some people cover their light up with a piece of tape and unhook the buzzer. Some people just ignore it and wait for the warnings to go away. Did you know that we can do that with God's Word too? We can respond to His warning and do what we know God wants us to do. We can close the Bible and cover it up and put it in a drawer and just not read it. We can ignore the preaching and teaching of God's Word and do what we want long enough to become callous to it and our hearts will harden to the spiritual truth. God will let us do that. He will let us ignore Him, Brother Josh. He'll let us ignore His Word and His warnings. Well, Israel was doing that, and they were piling sin upon sin upon sin. God warned them and warned them and warned them, and God piled His grace upon His grace upon His grace. But Israel failed to heed God's warnings. And if we're being honest, we have that tendency to fail to heed God's warning as well. Our first message in Amos, Amos told about how God sent him. Remember uh, when we hear Amos speaking, he's saying what God told him to say, amen? Obviously, I am not a prophet, but God did help me prepare this message for you. I'm not standing here under my own power. I'm standing here under a God's saving grace, and I'm uh, also standing here with God's sustaining grace. Message number two was about the judgment of the six nations surrounding Israel and Judah, and they, and they were judged on their relationships with their fellow man. I can kind of just picture Israel and Judah standing around them, cheering, telling them, go get them, Amos. Well, message three was about the judgment of Judah, and it was more severe than the other nations because um, God's desire was for Judah to be His called-out special people. But Judah didn't want that. Judah didn't want what God wanted for them. God told them, okay, well then I will judge you like I did those other pagan nations, and he did just that. I don't have time to go re-preach all of those sermons, but um, if you're interested in those, those are all online um, on our church website. Tonight is message number four in our Amos series, and again, the Lord has placed the message on, uh, on my heart, and uh 
he he is the one that helped me helped me to to uh, develop this message and always remember that this is not the message of a man. This is the message from God. Remember that prophets were not always the most popular people in Israel or Judah. This was because they were the seatbelt warning lights and buzzers, warning the people about the things that they should have already known. Israel was well aware of the truths and teachings and warnings of what God said. And in fact, they even admitted it in Exodus 24-7. The Bible says, All that the Lord hath said we will do and be obedient. And that's what Israel told God. He's, they said, All that the Lord hath said we will do and be obedient. All of us as Christians should already know that we need to listen to God and be obedient. We should already know that there are consequences if we don't. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 29 through 31, For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices." Those who reject God's wisdom and counsel and choose not to fear the Lord shall experience the consequences of their own actions. God says, you can choose to ignore me. You can choose to turn away from my guidance. But what you can't choose, you don't get to choose the consequences of doing that. Do you know that uh, Jonah's ministry and Amos' ministries overlapped? It's quite possible that they even knew each other. If you remember in Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 through 10, the people of Nineveh heard Jonah's warning message from God and his impending judgment. You remember what the people of Nineveh did? They fastened their seatbelts. They got right with God. They responded to God's warning from Jonah by wearing sackcloth, fasting, and turning from their evil ways. And they repented, and this led to God's decision not, destroy, not to destroy the city of Nineveh. Well, the Bible does not explicitly say that Israel knew about Nineveh, but it also doesn't say they didn't. Nineveh and Samaria were only 400 miles apart. It's reasonable to conclude Israel had heard about uh, their repentance. And maybe in part be just because of all the whining that Jonah did about it. Jonah was upset that Nineveh repented. He wanted them to get what he thought they deserved. While this did not involve specific uh, covenant renewal like the example mentioned earlier, it does call out the importance of turning to God in, in repentance and seeking His grace. It's crucial at all times, but becomes even more so when we are aware of God's warnings and make a conscious decision not to obey them. Can I help you with something right here? There is one word that we should always, always, always not answer God with, and that's no. Judah was probably not laughing anymore after Amos just finished with them, but I can imagine Israel still might be. I can see, uh, I can see Israel cheering Amos on, texting all their friends and family and saying, hey, come listen to this dude. They're finally giving Judah and these pagan nations what they deserve. Well, let's hold up there real quick. I want to help you here. The Bible says in Proverbs 24:17, uh, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Well, why not, Brother Tim? I kind of like it when the bad guy gets what he's got coming to him. Proverbs 24, 18, God says, Lest the Lord see it, and it displease him. 
God says, uh, taking joy in the misfortune of the bad guy, that displeases me. Why? Because Jesus died for them too. Oh yeah, one more thing. We should praise the Lord that we don't get what we deserve. Israel is going to find out. It's not so funny anymore because Amos has saved the worst for last. Tonight Amos set his sights on Israel and he's about to let it rip on him. But he's going to do it with a burdened and grieving heart and not one of anger. Remember the name of Amos means burden. Amos was a man that had a great burden for all of those nations. His burden was so great for them that God knew it, so he decided to send Amos to tell him about the coming judgment. So I have to ask, do you have a burden for America and the nations that surround us? Are you praying for America, for President Biden and our government leaders? Are you praying with them with an angry heart or a grieved heart? Did you realize that there's a difference? Proverbs 28.9 says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. God says anger is sin. God says if you're angry, you're not listening to what I said. God says if you will not listen to what I say, then your prayers are offensive to me. Psalm 10.17 says, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. This tells us the importance of a humble and grieved heart. God covets those prayers. God loves to listen to those prayers and answer those prayers. That's the kind of heart that Amos had for these nations. He had a genuine burden for them. And by sending Amos, God was demonstrating His sustaining grace and love by giving Israel a warning and another opportunity for repentance and forgiveness. But sadly, they refused. Verse 6 says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Well, Thus saith the Lord is the statement that indicates the following words or message is a direct pronouncement or a command from God Himself. It stresses the point that the message being delivered is not the words of a man, but they are instructions from God and His authority and should be heeded. So what does heeded mean? Heeded is the past tense of the verb heed. To heed means to pay attention to, to take notice of, or give consideration to something. When someone heeds a warning, it means they have taken it seriously and acted in accordance with it. If someone heeds a, a seatbelt warning minder, it means that they've taken the warning seriously and acted upon it to ensure their safety by buckling their seatbelt. If someone heeds the Word of God, it means they have taken it seriously and obeyed it to ensure their safety and ensure their walk with Him. The next part of verse 6 says, For three transgressions of Israel and for four. This is a Hebrew idiom. It's a poetic way that Amos used to describe Israel and their multiple transgressions and their patterns of behavior. And God said that this is, has, has reached a tipping point. If you remember in our other previous messages, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, this means that they were piling their sin upon their sin upon their sin upon their sin. It was a tipping point when God said, enough, I'm going to deal with that now. And when Israel heard Amos say this to them, he didn't have to explain it to them. They knew exactly what he meant. Israel knew exactly what Amos was saying and that God's judgment was on their way. As a reminder, though, God is always faithful to forgive us individually. 
The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. However, as a nation, Israel's judgment is set, and God says, Israel, the line is coming, and you can't stop and stop it, and these are the reasons why. Then God gave Amos uh, this list to preach to Israel. He said, because they sold the righteous for silver, the poor for a pair of shoes, they pan after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor, they turn aside the way of the meek, a man and his father will go in under the same maid to profane God's holy name, they lay themselves down upon clothes laid to pledge by every altar. They drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. The first, so the first sin mentioned is Israel sold the righteous for silver. The sold the righteous is referring to a situation where the people of Israel were selling people who were being obedient to God. Israel was supposed to be upholding justice and protecting those with moral character, not cheating them and selling them into slavery when they couldn't pay and God was very clear about this, and He said in Exodus 21.16, He that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. For silver is referring to the motivation behind their actions, and that was greed and gain. Sold the righteous for silver means that Israel was selling people that were righteous for their own profit and personal benefit. But how do you know what I just said is true? And how did I get there from that part of the verse? Well, I want to show you how we did that. And that answer I know is going to be a help to you. Because this process applies to all of our verses. And it also can apply to you in your daily Bible reading if you want it to. So remember in message one when we defined for three transgressions or for four. Piling sin upon sin upon sin. That was a Hebrew idiom. Well, we have an English idiom that is a perfect example for that. And that is the straw that broke the camel's back. People of our day and time and our culture know exactly what that means, right? It's the last in a series of things that happen to make someone upset or uh, angry or, or whatever. The people of Amos's day knew exactly what he meant when he said it. The people that Amos was speaking to understood his poetic language. Well, just like we understand the nuances of our language today. However, if Amos and his audience were here, they probably wouldn't understand everything that we were saying, right? So how do we interpret what Amos said? Well, some things are plain, and they just don't need any interpretation at all. But other things we do need help with. And I want to share uh, with you some of those, some of those tools. The first one is the most important, and that's prayer and asking for God's help. Understanding the deeper spiritual and moral messages of the Bible can't be done without the Lord's help. The second thing is defining words, and there's a couple of ways to do this. The Webster's Online 1828 Dictionary, it's free. Um, you just type the word in there and it will tell you uh, what, what it means in, according to the Bible. And the other way to do it also is use the Bible because there's, there's a... And we'll see an example of that tonight, how you can use the Bible to define words. Biblical context. To understand any verse or phrase or passage in the Bible, it's essential to look at the entire context within the broader passages or chapters. And then the historical and cultural context. Understanding that 
the historical and cultural context of the time in which the passage is written is crucial. Who's the writer? Who are the people that are being written to? We need to know these things, the who, what, when, where's, and why's as much as possible. The Bible doesn't always give us all of these details, but we, we, we must know as many of them as we can. Because when we all know from watching the news media, you know, somebody will say something, a whole paragraph, and then the media will chop out one sentence and they'll twist that to make it say what they want. Well, you can do that with God's Word too. So that's why we need to know these things. Commentaries provide different ways of looking at things that help us shed light on meanings and verses. Bible commentaries provide valuable insights to the interpretation of the biblical passages. Writers of commentaries have often studied the context of the book or the passage that they're writing on for years. I have a commentary on Amos that's very helpful to me because I can never devote all the time needed to do what's and say what's in that book. And then the last thing is ask pastor. After you've done all these things or why you are doing these things, if you need clarity, ask pastor. He helps me out all the time and I know he'll help you if you ask him. Our understanding of the Bible passages and verses like this one, because they sold the righteous for silver, comes from the combination of prayer, studying the Bible within its context, considering the historical and cultural backdrop, commentaries, and then and pastor if you need his help. Sold the righteous for silver means that Israel was selling the people who were being obedient to God for their own profit and personal benefit. So now let's use these tools on our verse. We know God sent Amos to Israel to pronounce judgment on them because Amos told us that. We know what Israel's list of sins are because Amos told us what they are. Because they sold is past tense, means they have done this already. Sold means that something has been exchanged for money or for some other form of payment. What has been sold? People, right? How do we know that? Well, remember the broader context of the passages and the chapters. Whole ch uh, all the way up into our passage tonight, all the way through chapter 1 and, and chapter 2, all the way up to verse 6, God and Amos, uh, Amos through God is talking about relationships and talking about people. So we know this is people. The entire first two chapters of Amos has been about the treatment of other people. The righteous is referring to people that are being obedient to God. And how do we know that? We define the word righteous. Righteous means a person who follows the commandments and laws of God, seeks to do what is right in the eyes of God, and lives a life of faith and obedience just in accordance to God's laws. So this is where um, we can define righteous in the Bible. A search in the Bible, you go back and you find the earliest use of the word or form of it that you can find. And all the way back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, <laughs> Moses wrote, Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. When you define just in this verse, that means righteous. Just in accordance to God's laws. The righteous means People obeying God's commandments. And how do you obey God's commandments? By doing them, right? Uh, 
That's what, uh, and you define, I got lost my place, sorry. Uh, right, okay. So what were the righteous sold for? They were sold for silver. In our verse, our verse says they were sold for silver. When you define silver, the, def the first definition is a metal of white color, and then it lists the specific properties of silver. But guess what the next definition of silver is? Money. What's money? What do people do with it? Why do they want it? Brother Josh, we know the answers to these, right? Don't need to explain that. Okay, now let's put our work all together and see what we got. Because they sold the righteous for silver. Means that Israel was selling the people who were being obedient to God for their own profit and personal benefit. And if you're all with me, say amen. Okay. Did you know that uh, we have a responsibility to each other? We have a responsibility to make sure that the words from the pulpit are from God and just not means words from men. Acts 17.11 says this, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. The Apostle Luke wrote about the Berean Jews and he commended them for their diligence in examining the Scriptures daily to verify the teachings that they were receiving were truly from Scripture. This is a warning from God on the importance of our reading our Bible daily so that we can discern and understand the truth for ourselves. Again, the men that stand behind the pulpit, we want you to know that this is God's message. It's not our message. So if you ever have any questions from a sermon, write them down and please come ask. And if you're saying, well, Brother Tim, I'm just too embarrassed to come ask, then write it down on a piece of paper and put it in the Dropbox. Because the last thing that pastor wants and the last thing that I want is you to not have your question answered. Now, now that we know that they sold the righteous for silver means what it means, see if this paraphrase in our cultural and language understanding works. Some people harm just people for their own profit and personal benefit. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes? Okay. Then we can use those same tools and the same work, and we can paraphrase the other six uh, charges against Israel. And don't worry, I've already done that. I'm just going to, now that we understand and we are on the same page, I'm just going to tell you. Sold the poor for a pair of shoes means some people harm poor people just to get something as simple as a pair of shoes. They pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor. Means some people treat poor people like they are worth less than dirt and they make them suffer for it. Turn, they turn aside the way of the meek. That means some people block or stop gentle people from getting a fair chance. Well, these three things, Amos is indicting the wealthy people of Israel on their treatment and the rule over the poor. The next three. A man and his father will go in unto the same maid to pray in God's holy name. This means some people use sexual immorality to intentionally disrespect God and call it uh, worship. They lay themselves down upon clothes laid to the pledge by every altar. Some people use the clothes that the poor people left them as collateral for a loan, and they use them to worship their gods. They drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. 
Some people drink wine that has been taken as fines from other people as a punishment, and then they drink it in the name of their God as worship. So those three things, Amos is indicting Israel for their idolatry. We could dig a lot deeper into the meanings of those. Um, each one of those uh, verses could probably have a whole sermon preached on them, but that's not what the Lord has for us tonight. It might still happen, but for right now, uh, we're, this is just an overall picture of Israel's deep corruption of justice, their moral corruption, their lack of compassion, and their idolatry. Remember, these are God's people, and they're treating each other that way. God chose them to be His called-out people. God gave them the law. No other nation but Israel had the law. God's desire was to call the other nations to Him through Israel for His glory. God's desire was to have the other nations say, Hey, look what God has done for Israel. Hey, Israel, we want what you got. How do we get that? Instead, Israel said, Hey, you nations, we want what you got. How do we get that? Don't take my word for it. Bible says in 1 Samuel 8, 5, Israel says, Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Verses 6 through 8 serve as God's warning about the consequences of societal injustices, particularly when the pursuit of material gain and personal interests come at the expense of moral and ethical values. It's a disregard for moral values and the manipulation of justice for personal profit. It's a blatant, outright statement. God, we don't care what you want. We don't care what you say. We're going to do what we want. Who does that sound like today? Kind of sounds like current American culture, doesn't it? Israel is a picture of how America is acting right now. America was founded on Christian principles. And I cannot take the time to develop that out right now, but I can show you some proof of it if I could find my phone. Hmm. Is it back? Hey, grab that $10 bill out of there. I need a volunteer. Anybody want to volunteer? Anybody at all? Volunteer. All right, okay. I guess Brother Josh gets to do it then. Oh, Brother Josh just volunteered. It's real simple. You, you don't want to volunteer either? Okay. I, I just want to prove that. I just wanted to. Uh, I want to prove. I want to prove that America was founded on a Christian nation. What does it say right below the United States of America? They're usually ten dollars, and that's what the youth get for not wanting to volunteer. Okay. The capitalized form, In God We Trust, first appeared on the two-cent piece in 1864 and initially only appeared on coins. But it gradually became accepted among Americans. Much wider adoption followed in the 1950s. And the first postage stamps with the motto, In God We Trust, appeared in 1954. Can you imagine the uproar in this country if the post office tried to put in God we trust on a stamp today? I'll find my place here in just a second. There we go. Okay. 
This passage in Amos tonight kind of tells us that America's judgment is set. God says, America, the lion is coming and you can't stop it anymore. We need to be praying with a grieved heart for a revival in America. Social injustices, the pursuit of material gain, personal interests, they're all coming at us in all directions and at grave expense of Christian moral and ethical values. Corporations, governments, Hollywood, news media, all pushing their sickening, worldly, ungodly agendas at us and all for personal gain and profit. It's their blatant, outright statement. We don't care what you say, God, and we're going to do what we want to do. God told Israel about their deep corruption and how they disrespected Him. And then He reminded them about all the sustaining grace that He had given to them in verses 9-11. through 11. The Bible says, Yet destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and he was strong as the oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. Also I brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you forty years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up of your sons for prophets and of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord? God reminded Israel, I destroyed the Amorite and their fortresses as you marched through their land. I completely destroyed them and I removed them from their land. I led you out of bondage from Egypt. I guided and provided you through the wilderness journey. I give you the land free and clear. I sent prophets to warn and guide you when you took your seatbelts off. I set apart for you some of your young men as Nazarites who served as examples on how I wanted you to live by abstaining from alcohol and by demonstrating obedience. God told Israel that even in the midst of your sinfulness, I extended my grace to you. Look at the last part of verse 11. God asks Israel a question. Is it not even thus, O ye children of Israel? God asked them, Am I telling you the truth? God didn't let them answer, though. He answered for them in verse 12. But ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not. Nazarites were individuals in Israel who took a vow of consecration to God, which included abstaining from certain practices such as drinking wine and cutting their hair. However, the people had disregarded this vow and they offered wine to the Nazarites, encouraging them to break their sacred, sacred commitment to God. And this act was a violation of the Nazarites' consecration and a sign of the people's blatant disregard for what God said. Second part of the verse addresses the prophets in Israel. Instead of welcoming the messages from the prophets who were chosen by God to convey His word, the people had gone so far as to command them not to prophesy. This demonstrated their resistance to seeing and hearing God's messages of warning and correction and repentance. It revealed their desire to silence the messengers of God rather than to heed their words. Amos is using these examples to illustrate the spiritual decay and moral corruption among the Israelites, and he's condemning their failure to respect the roles of the Nazarites and the prophets. So God gives Israel a picture of their sin in verse 13. Behold, I am pressed under you as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. When a wagon or cart is overloaded, in this case in Bible days with sheaves of grain, the wagon shows the overloaded weight by bending or being so heavy that it cannot be moved. 
Sometimes they were so heavy they pressed them even down into the ground, which made it even harder for it to move. When God compares the weight of Israel's disobedience and unfaithfulness and their moral collapse by using this picture of a heavy overloaded cart. The mention of the cart being full of sheaves gives Israel this picture of their sins accumulating and piling sin upon sin upon sin. It's not just a few transgressions, it's a multitude of wrongdoings that have piled up. God says, therefore. Verse 14. Therefore is a word that helps show the cause and effect relationship between statements. God said, Israel, you did this, therefore I'm going to do this. Verse 14. Therefore, the flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not strengthen his force, neither shall the mighty deliver himself. Neither shall he stand that handleth the bow, and he that is swift on foot shall not deliver himself, neither shall he that rideth the horse deliver himself. And he that is courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, saith the Lord. Well, these verses tell, uh, tell us of the impending judgment as delivered by the prophet Amos on the behalf of the Lord. Look at that last part on verse 16, saith the Lord. That's just that one last little... Amos says, this isn't my message. This is God's message. These verses tell us of the impending judgment that uh, God says is coming, and they describe the situation where the normal advantages and abilities of individuals will be rendered useless in the face of God's judgment. Well, we know from the historical and cultural context of the passage that um, Amos was, or excuse me, not Amos, <clears throat> Israel was doing well economically and militarily. So when Amos says the swift, the strong, mighty horses, bows, and the courageous, he's referring to Israel thinking that their economic and their military prowess can save them from God's judgment. Verse 14, Therefore the flight shall perish from the swift, the strong shall not strengthen his force, neither shall the mighty deliver himself. Amos is saying that despite their swiftness, despite their strength, despite their might, people will not be able to escape or save themselves when God's judgments come. Even those who are quick or strong, they're going to find their abilities to no avail in the face of God's judgment. Verse 15, Neither shall he stand that handleth the bow, and he that is swift of the foot shall not deliver himself. Neither shall he that rideth the horse deliver himself. Amos continues the theme of futility in the face of God's judgment. He says, even those skilled with a bow, even those that are fast runners, even those who can ride horses for mobility, will not be able to save themselves from the judgment of the Lord. Well, um, being able to do these things are typically, advantage, uh, are typically an, an advantage, advantageous position in the times of conflict, times of war. And Israel was relying on all these things, thinking, thinking that they could protect themselves from God. Amos says, now, that's all going to be ineffective against God's judgment. And verse 16, And he that is courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, saith the Lord. This final verse, Amos is spotlighting that even though even those who are known for their courage, even those who are known for their bravery among the mighty, they're going to be reduced to fleeing in fear. He that is courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day. What's that day? 
Well, everyone who says no to God, everyone that is living a life in rebellion against God, everyone who loves pleasing themselves more than pleasing God, that day is when God says, okay, I've had enough. That's the straw that broke the camel's back. Now I'm going to deal with you. Makes no difference if God is talking to one person, a group of person, or group of people, or a nation with a powerful military. God says, when that day comes, everyone will be helpless and I can't be stopped. It's a real day. It's coming. And no one and nothing can stop it. The mention of fleeing naked means humiliation or fragileness. Amos paints a graphic picture for all of those who reject God. He says, all human efforts to escape the judgment of the Lord will fail. But God is faithful and just. He does not want that for anybody. Because of His love for all people, He made a way to escape this judgment through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10.13 says, For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you have to do is repent and ask the Lord, and He will give you His saving grace. And then you can start living your life with His sustaining grace. It is really that simple. So I, I'm going to ask you a few questions. How's your wagon? Is it bending with transgressions that God wants out of your life? Is it so heavy that it can't be moved? Is it so heavy that it's being pressed down into the ground? Is your seatbelt minder light flashing over time? Or is your seatbelt light off? America acts like we're so strong, so mighty, we're so rich, we have such a powerful military. America is deceived in thinking that their military and economic prowess can save them from God's judgment. Babylonians thought that. Romans thought that. Didn't work out so well for them. So I have a question. Are you deceived? Do you think that you're swift enough? Do you think you're strong enough? Do you think you're mighty enough? Do you think you're courageous enough to escape God's judgment? God makes it pretty clear you're not. Are you searching Scriptures daily, lining your life with what God says? Do you care what God says or do you just want to do what you want to do? Are you going to answer that question for you? Or are you going to let God answer that question for you? What is your response to God's grace? Let's pray. Lord, thank You again so much. You made it pretty clear tonight that this is not a man's message. You made it pretty clear tonight that the messages from behind this pulpit are not from men, that they're from You. Lord, if there's someone in here tonight that doesn't have a, a saving grace relationship with You, I, I ask, Lord, that You'd show that to them and convict them and help them get right with You yet tonight. Father, those of us in here that do have that relationship and we're walking with You with uh, Your saving grace, Lord, if there's uh, someone or something, some, some, something going on, Lord, that, that we know that You want out of our life. Would you, would you call us to the altar, Lord, and help us get that right with You yet tonight? I ask, Lord, for these blessings and for Your work to be done here in Jesus' name. Amen.
Brother Josh, would you put some...